Welcome to Time to Pause with your host, Dr. Kimberly Kodaka. This podcast shares inspiring and motivating stories from incredible veterinarians and industry professionals as they successfully multitask common career challenges and discuss topics relevant to the veterinary profession. And now, here's Dr. Kodaka. My guest today is a great friend of mine, Deborah Hamilton from Hamilton Law. She has so much wonderful experience in the legal field. That's not her only interest. She also is a very strong, fond animal lover and combines her two interests. I thought she would be a great source of information. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm so glad to be here. It's such an honor to be on your wonderful program that brings listeners such incredible information week after week. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you for coming. As I mentioned before, your training is as an attorney or in law. You also are an animal lover. How did you develop an interest in this connection between law and helping animals in conflict? Well, I'm so glad you asked because Hamilton Law and Mediation is sort of a hybrid now because I practice law for 30 years. I'm still licensed to practice law, but I don't litigate any longer. I mediate because people who are in conflict over animals really need someone to help them have that conversation because what happens in litigation is everyone's ego gets involved and the animals sometimes are lost in the shuffle. So I enable them to really talk about their needs and interests in mediation. It's confidential. And whether it's a veterinarian with their client or people who are getting divorced and love the dog, how do they share it? I was quoted in Bloomberg in 2016 as saying, unfortunately, your pet doesn't hate your ex, which is quite true. (laughs) And if your pet You know, if your pet really doesn't like a kennel, being able to leave it with your ex because you've thought longer and further ahead about what's in the best interest of the animal. Courts are not going to do that. Only California, Alaska, and Illinois have changed the language for the well-being of a pet, but New York hasn't done that. So I stopped litigating to a great degree. It's very often... I turn things away that want to litigate, or I shift them and have them try to have transformational conversations so that they can really keep the value of the animal up front. And then, of course, as you mentioned, I have red dogs, Irish setters, and in 2013, I broke my ankle with nine of them living in my home. What do you do? I didn't... (laughs) I didn't have a plan for feeding them and all their food and everything was downstairs. And for them to get out to run their two acres was downstairs. So I realized I probably was not alone. So I made a plan to take care of my pets. And then I shared it with a lot of people who thought, you know, this is a really good idea. So it shifted from I'm not dead yet, which was its original title, uh, (laughs) because people write about the care of their pets and their will, but not if they're not dead. And sometimes we need help when we're not dead yet. It's now the map plan, navigating the journey your pet takes when you can't care for it. And I know that these podcasts are to be evergreen, but we are living through COVID. And a lot of people are losing their lives or going to the hospital for a very long time and have made no plans for their pets. Every day on CNN and the Daily News, on any platform of news, dogs and cats, birds, horses are being taken to shelters because their owners either got sick and there's no one there to care for them 
or God forbid, they passed away. And then for sure, there's no one to care for them. So you really do need to make this plan. And so beside mediating conflicts between people over animals, I help people make that plan. And that's actually the main reason besides the opportunity to chit chat with you. I thought that you would be so powerful to my community. We are hearing of all the issues of COVID, people leaving their house, not being able to once admitted into the hospital, be with their family. Lately, we're also hearing now, especially in the New York area where you and I are from, situations where dogs are being found or left in the home either after a owner has gone to the hospital and hasn't made arrangements. Sometimes they don't come out of the hospital, as you mentioned. But even there's several incidents, unfortunately, where the client, the owner, passes at home with the animal in the house or apartment and their neighbor or somebody happens across the situation. And so I think that this is a very important topic for veterinarians and everybody in the veterinary field to know about, to prepare and plan for, and be able to advise their clients, which is exactly what we're going to do here. Give them the, um, the steps we need. We sometimes will have the neighbor be feeding for a period of time or a family member that gets notified that, hey, your mother's dog is now here or your sister's cat is now here. It can be very stressful for the animal uh, with the surrendering. I'm wondering how you think that the confusion around this moment can be alleviated or avoided. Well, it's really interesting you bring this up because it's a two-pronged problem at this point because a lot of people adopted animals because we were going to shelter in place. So those animals have lived sheltering in place with their owners from the beginning. And now these people might have to go back to work. What are you going to do then? That's a plan you have to make. And the ones who have had animals um, and have gotten sick and haven't really made a plan, most of my clients come to me and say, well, I'm just going to make a plan. You know, if I'm sick, my kids are going to take the dog. I don't have to write that down. And I said, oh yeah, you do because you know as a veterinarian, nobody can come and treat a dog, even if you know the dog, without written permission in the file of a veterinarian allowing that person to come and take care of that dog, allow that dog to be taken care of by you. There's a veterinary client relationship that must be sustained. So I've started a program, a community on Tuesdays that we're moving till Wednesdays, where people talk about the plans to make for their pets in the event something happens to them. Most of us really think our family will take care of the pet, and they probably will. But if you don't have family or you want to make sure your family has a backup plan, I always say redundancy is key because you never know if your family, though they want to take your pet, can't take your pet. I'll give you an example. My one son's in California. He would love to take my pets. He can't get them. <laughs> He's in California. I'm in New York. Not going to happen. My other son is in Florida. He is a pilot. And so he could fly up, but he's in a no pet building, so he can't take them. These things happen. So what you need to do is you need to follow the plan of the map plan, which is make a plan, address the needs of your pet, appoint caregivers, and publish. And all four of those pieces are so important. No one will ever take care of your dog, cat, bird, horse in the same way you do. However, you really need to make a plan 
because they're counting on you not to leave them in the house, as you said, alone, unfed, or maybe the neighbor is stopping by and feeding them and giving them water and cleaning their litter box or whatever. But you really do need to have a long-term, short-term plan. So the neighbor feeding them for a week is fine. We go on vacation, whatever we do, that's fine. But that neighbor also needs to be on the list with the veterinarian. So if something happens, they can bring the dog, cat, bird to the veterinarian to be cared for if something occurs. If they're not on that list, that's the published part, then the veterinarian truly isn't supposed to take care of the dog, though we all know they do. They really, truly don't have to and shouldn't. So what we do now is we appoint the caregivers, which should be one family member, that's all, and then at least two or three people who know the dog, are your friends, have said they would take care of the dog, and even a rescue. So if you've adopted your dog from a rescue, or your dog is a purebred dog that you've adopted from a rescue, go to the national clubs of each purebred dog, because unbeknownst to anyone, the largest rescue groups in the United States are facilitated by the American Kennel Club, because every national club of every breed, and let me tell you, we take things that don't really look like our breeds a lot of time, and we help rescue them and rehome them. So if you have a dog that looks like an Irish Setter, call the Irish Setter Club of America. My favorite story is I went to Animal Care and Control and they handed me a dog that was red. And they said, it's an Irish Setter, right? And I looked down and I said, absolutely. And I took the dog out of the building, signed all the papers, put them in the back of my car. And Kim, what kind of dog has a black tongue that could be red? That was what I thought as soon as you said that. And I am like, how do you confuse a chow with a golden retriever? Right. So I turned Have to this. Have seen a dog before? Right, exactly. So, so I said to this chow, this is the luckiest day of your life because you are not an easily adopted dog. And so I'm taking you home. I'm calling Chow Rescue, which they came and got him and found a perfect home with someone who had just lost their chow and wanted another one. So it was perfect. And there was, it was a perfect segue. But if you don't make a plan for your pets, then you have to rely on someone like me going to animal care and control and picking up your dog. So what I do every Wednesday now at noontime, Eastern time, I talk to people about the small things they can do to make sure their pets don't end up in a shelter. So the first thing is make a short-term plan. Which yeah, well, let me, uh, I just want to emphasize, um, you keep saying map, and I think you also did comment that is make a plan, address the issues, and P was... So there's two A's. So it's make a plan because you really have to have a plan before you try to look for people who are going to take care of your pets. So I help people. This is what I do every day of my life. People pay me to help them do this. I just had a guy in LA call me because he wants me to make the map plan and a marital plan for him and his pets uh, with his wife. So make a plan is the M. The first A is address the needs of the pets. So you make a plan on how you want them to be cared for, but then you have to address each need. What does that mean? Well, they're afraid of thunder and lightning. Uh, They don't like other dogs. They don't like cats. Cats don't like dogs. Birds, you know, um, say bad words. Whatever it is, you address the needs of the pet, medications, everything. Then you appoint caregivers for those pets because it really is. Yeah. And you need to have at least three. 
I know it's hard. I speak a number of times at independent living facilities where they allow you to have 20 pound dogs and the people go, yeah, but I don't want to take anybody else's dog. I mean, I'd like them to take my dog, but I don't want to take anybody else's dog. And I said, well, do you go to the dog park? And they go, yes. I said, does your dog play with anybody at the dog park? And they go, yeah. Is that person younger than you? And they go, yeah. I said, why don't you say to them, listen, if something happened to me, would you be willing to take the dog for a week or two until my family works things out or until the person who lives far away comes and takes the dog? Would you be willing to do that? Nine times out of 10, people will say yes. They may or may not ask you to reciprocate, but if they do, why not? And the last piece, of course, is publish. And who do you publish it with? Well, of course, you have to publish it with your family, because if they don't know about it, they can't help you put the dogs with whom you want the dogs to be with. You have to publish it with your veterinarian, because they also need to know so they can send the records. Some of the newspaper articles now with COVID, with people dying, they don't know the dog's name. They don't know the dog's vet. They don't know anything about the dog. Food, their allergies, their history. Right. They know nothing. So what, what happens is, you know, if you, if you had published it with your veterinarian and the caregivers and one of your caregivers now with COVID has to be a neighbor. I know if you hate all your neighbors, you're stuck, but nobody else can get here. I mean, I had my sons who could easily hop on a plane and get here, but they can't now because there are no planes and nothing. It's different in New York. You have to stay in New York if you come in for 14 days and then you have to stay home wherever you go home for 14 days because we're like the epicenter. It really is important to take all four steps. It's a four-step plan. So MAP is with a double A, M-A-A-P. What's great about the community on Wednesdays is that people are talking about what they have found to be troubling. What if I'm in my car and I have an accident? Well, there needs to be a card on your car that says, in the event of an emergency, I have dogs at home and please call this person. Um, If you get sick in your home and you live alone, so many people who've left their dogs behind live alone. We can live alone with pets. That's okay. But just have a really nice five by eight card, not three by five, but if three by five is all you have is, that's fine. Mm-hmm. With the name of your first responder for your pet, the people who are the first people who are going to come and help get the pets. Otherwise, the pets are going to animal care and control. And if I can, I'll tell you a quick story about a 72-year-old woman who fell down and broke her ankle in her home and was being carried out of the house. And animal care and control was called because she lived alone. And she yelled at them, what are you doing with my dog? And they said, well, we're just taking it. We're going to hold it for you until you get out. So she had surgery. They fixed her ankle. She went to rehab two and a half months later. Uh, she didn't have her phone with her. Now she's 72. So they're not as you know attached to their phones as we are. And um, her dog was placed in a rescue from animal care and control. And then uh, the rescue placed it with a home. And then when she went to get the dog, the rescue said, oh, sorry, we're not going to tell you where the dog is. This is so a it, was a re- it was rehomed. It wasn't fostered. No, it was rehomed. Aww. And of That's course, the rescue rules are, I'm not going to tell you. Well, she didn't release the dog. She never released the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now she has to sue. Do you know how expensive yeah. it's going to be? Yeah. She has to sue the rescue. You would think that that's my mediation hat coming on. You would think that we would sit down and say, okay, this is extenuating circumstances. We understand that, you know, um, we didn't have the full facts maybe, or maybe we thought we were doing the right thing, but this dog really needs to go back with the 72 year old woman. As, as things happen, one of the rescue people said, well, you're really old. The dog is better off with a young family anyway, which of course is not true because it's a nine year old dog. 
So our, our older people um, love to adopt older dogs. Shelters love when older people adopt older dogs. But if you have an older dog you've had since it was a puppy, really recovering from an injury, a sickness, whatever, without your dog, is really difficult. Well, we know, we know for sure that as humans, patients, elderly, we do significantly better. We improve our health. We stay healthier with our pets. It's a very upsetting uh, story to hear. I want to emphasize, even though, you know, we started the conversation because we're in COVID, you know, about people dying or going to the hospital, you brought up some really crucial concepts. I was going to bring up when people are are terminally ill. It's a time when you can plan and organize for things. So it's not just in an era of COVID, the significance of this program or, or these types of plans. The other thing that uh, you mentioned, which hadn't occurred to me, is if you are single and you do get into an accident, it doesn't necessarily need to be a horrific ending or a, um, uh, somebody dying, but uh, the importance of a plan for your animal is applicable over a variety of, of different health issues. And, and so I, I thank you for bringing that up and, and just, I, I wanna reemphasize that to the community because again, that's that text, when we see an older client, this is really a very good time to maybe start that conversation, pointing them in the right direction. And um, it's a delicate conversation to have, as you know, when you see commercials on TV for people recovering from cancer, they always have their animal with them. And so we do want to foster older people to keep animals in their lives. But to Absolutely. do that, you have to have a support community. And let me tell you, the veterinarians, the vet techs, the groomers, the kennels, all of them are first lines of defense to assure that this dog can stay with this person once they recover. And if they don't recover, they really can be those first line people who help the dog transition to its next, or cat or bird or horse, to its next home. So as a veterinarian or as a vet tech, being able to talk to your clients, not about getting older and like you might fall down and kill yourself, but say, listen, uh, we love to support our owners. Let me know if there's something we can do to put in our files to help transition Fluffy uh, from one person to another. Who would be that next person? And if you don't know who that next person is, tell them to come on my community on Wednesdays at noon because we don't sell anything. We simply talk about what small incremental steps you can take and then the people you need to speak to to take the big steps that yeah. ensure that your pet is cared for. Navigating the journey your pet takes when you can't care for it. That's what the MAP stands for. Awesome. Awesome. And and yeah, the Humane Society also has some information out there to help. How do you recommend one goes about getting a pet caretaker or choosing someone who is going to be responsible for that pet? As a veterinarian, I've seen a few family members um, not so happy to have the pets. So can you talk a little bit about how they can and should select people? And one other aspect, which I guess I'll touch in here, it seems like there's also potentially a phase or a process because um, again, one doesn't need to be deceased or terminal to have a, a program in place. It could just be, it occurred to me when you were talking, a single mom who's divorced 
with kids. You know, you've got, you're young, you're this, you're that, but yeah, you know, what happens if there's an accident or, or whatever. So I misspoke when I said speak to all the older people in that veterinary clinic. It should be speak to everybody. Uh, I want to rectify that. But sometimes, though, there is a legal transition period before, and we'll get into this in more details, until wills and trusts and different things kick in. And so you mentioned in your example, having maybe a short-term person, do you always recommend a short-term person or do you just go to a long-term person? Or maybe you can talk about that a bit. Well, you've touched on so many points. I have to tell you that I have a grandkitty out in LA named Jane, and my son has a map plan and he's 30 years old. Because I want people to know that if something happens to him, his neighbors will take care of Jane for a week or two until I can get out there to get her. Because God forbid something happened. Uh, if he gets sick or God forbid something occurs, I will be able to get to him. So you're right. It isn't just about old people. It's about everyone who owns a pet needs to make a long-term, short-term plan. Short-term plans, I call them the six Ds, divorce, delay, disaster, disease, um, depression, dementia, whatever happens to you, you need to have a plan to care for your pets when you can't because you can't you're not there you're not feeling well you you know whatever happens you can't take care of your pet people say to me well of course i can take care of my pet well when i broke my ankle i can tell you i could not take care of my pets i had a broken ankle so it really is important to recognize that your pets are depending on you and to make a plan the short-term plan is for people who can come into your house maybe it's your housekeeper maybe it's your neighbor maybe it's a high school kid who then transfers to another high school kid once he graduates because you know this is a great position because i'll be paid 15 dollars an hour if something happens to her and i come in like once a month so the dog knows me everything is copacetic you want to make sure that occurs and you really want to make sure that the people who you appoint I've had so many people who adopt, you know, wealthy women, I love wealthy women, who adopt a number of dogs from shelters, like three or four or five. The kids of these people say, please God, have her make a plan because I don't want these pets. But they'll never tell her that they don't want the pets because then she will cut them out of the will. Uh, so, <laughs> right? I mean, unbelievable. So you really need to make sure that, I always say, and a colleague of mine, Yvonne DeVita, I, I do this all the time and it makes you feel better. So the first people who would get to take my dogs would be my sons. One's in Florida, one's in California. I don't know that they could take them, but I'm Irish Catholic. The guilt is unbelievable. In fact, my son still tells me about the guilt that I can drop. Uh, but if you make a plan that says, okay, Kim, you're my first person, you're a family member. If you can't take this pet, then listen, my neighbor Sue loves the dog, the dog knows Sue, and she'll take it short term, or maybe she'll take it long term. And if Sue doesn't want to take it, there's somebody who co-owns the dog who said they take it. And if that, there's a vet tech at the vet who's loved this dog who said they would take it. So you give the person who's your first choice, your family member, the ability to say, okay, no, and it's okay because she's already told me that Kim can take it, or Sue can take it, or Joan can take it. So you know, my mother and my father have already given me the blessing that if I don't take the dog, I'm not going to burn in hell for all of eternity. Rather, 
the dog gets or the cat gets or the bird or horse gets the best home for them. And believe me, there are so many people that are in my sphere of influence that tell me they don't have anyone. And I said, you just haven't looked. You haven't asked. You haven't looked. Because there are people everywhere who will. I mean, my neighbor right here, I just moved in. I'm renting this place. My neighbor, we were talking to him the other day and they turned to me and they said, you know, if you ever go away and you need us to take care of the dogs, we're right there. I never asked them. But I did put um, notes with COVID. I put notes in everybody's box. And I said, listen, if something happens to you, um, let me know and I'll be happy to take care of your dog short term until somebody can come and get them. But this is the camaraderie and the collaboration you have to do because I would really like them to take care of my dogs if something happened to me. So you're absolutely right. It's not an old person thing. It's an animal owner thing. If you own an animal, they're depending on you to make sure they don't end up back at the shelter. I talk to pit bull groups all the time and it drives me nuts. And I will tell you from the bottom of my heart, drives me out of my mind that all those people do not have a plan for their pets because those dogs are at great risk. You know, an Irish setter goes into a a shelter. Somebody's going to adopt that dog likely. Mm -hmm. A pit bull um, or a pit bull type of dog, forget it. They're not going to be adopted because, you know, whatever it says on the card about them being sweet and wonderful with other animals. Do you really know people are going to be, I've got kids. So you really need to make that plan for them. They're counting on you. And what drives me nuts is that people just believe their family is going to step in. And um, I've had several cases where the family dropped the dog off the minute the mother was dead, off, gone, done. And you you're not going to be there you're not going to be in control so the best you can do is leave what i call as i said before redundancy a redundant list of three or four people who know that if the kids don't take the dog i get the dog and if i can't take the dog kim can take the dog and if kim can't take the dog the mary jane can take the dog but we all know that this dog has a place to go i also um became aware of a few i mean not many but another animal uh, population that's vulnerable are the older dogs. Oh, yeah. And nobody, you know, the time it takes to treat and care and the medications and um, or even if they're just older and perfectly healthy. <laughs> I mean, I think sometimes people assume that if they're older, they're going to be more of a, a nuisance. And that definitely isn't so. It um, isn't. And, you know, Dave Nickel, who I interviewed on Why Do Pets Matter, my podcast, along mm-hmm. with Jeff Nickel, uh, both veterinarians, not related. Uh, one talks all the time about how thankful senior dogs are to be adopted by senior oh. people because they are just like, thank you, God, manna from heaven. I don't know where this person came from, but thank you. And once they get uh, the dog on the right track, if you have the money, which is great, if you don't have the money, then there are, there are groups that will help you, especially rescue groups that'll help you find um, the veterinary care you need. There's also sanctuaries that will take your dogs, but that's- Well, that was what the other thing I was going to mention, that there's some hospice type sanctuaries and things. And sometimes that's a, I think it's an equally valid or favorable option in many ways, because they're, they're, they're run by the most caring people. I know that some of the sanctuaries that I was, um, looking at, they're not kennels, they're like houses where they have rooms and and different things. And so I think this just emphasizes doing a little homework, why developing a plan, you know, if you do a little homework, you can find a lot of different opportunities. And it really is important to find those opportunities for your pet, because at the end of the day, 
if no one you appointed can take your pet, you need to have one of those places. North Shore Animal League will take your pet and take care of it. Is it ideal? No, but is it better than them going to a high kill shelter? Absolutely. So you have to, I always say to people, no one's going to take care of your dog the way you do. No one. You can leave this list and litany of what you want them to do each and every day. But as long as they are loving your dog, right. they're giving it their appropriate veterinary care and food, whether or not they walk it 17 times a day like you did, um, they'll know that they're falling down on the, on the job when their dog starts to chew things because he's crazy. But older dogs don't do that. And what I wanted to add is that Dr. Jeff Nickel is, is a behaviorist. And he says, you know, if you call a behaviorist in with the older dogs, they usually can nip the issues that come with the dog in the bud if they have you know, emotional issues. They can really evaluate them and help you have a great relationship with this older dog. And believe me, Kim, you and I are over 21, just by a few weeks, I know, but we're over 21. Um, and having a dog in our life is really amazingly heart-centered and mm -hmm. health-centered because yeah. we feel loved all the time and we have to get out of our offices and walk. Yeah. And I'd just like to also say there definitely is this worry and probably valid in many cases that no one will take care of my dog as well as I will. And, and that's understandable. I think sometimes you may find that person who does walk them, you know, maybe you only walk them twice or maybe you only let them out into the yard. Maybe this new person is going to walk them four times a day. I also use the analogy that your dog in your realm enjoys X, they may do Y, which is equally as scrumptious for the dog. It's kind of like parents, you know? Some parents uh, raise or work this way. Some parents work that way with the kids. You know, it's not right or wrong, and the kids get pleasure, as will the dog, from a lot of things. I think it's just finding someone who, who's going to have the passion and uh, or a venue that's going to have the interest, care, and the animal um, at mind. And the um, animals don't mind the difference in care. They actually right. look forward to it. So they like when they go with someone who's sedentary, and then they like when they go out with somebody who takes a walk, and that's why if you set this up beforehand, the dog gets used to the person who comes twice a day to take it for a walk, yeah. and then might be the person who would take it then long-term. But that doesn't mean that it'll be sleeping all day long, and it doesn't mean that you know it'll have the same life with you, but it will have a wonderful life where you right. know it's being cared for. Right, and that's the important thing. Instead I of mean, catchers, catch can. Yes. <laughs> So we touched on this a little bit. I wasn't sure though whether you had a story or anything because I think this phenomenon slash principle that no one can take care of my dog as well as me, hence I'd like the dog put down. We see and hear that often. I was wondering if there was anything specific you wanted to mention. This is an interesting question because I've given a few of these MAP programs to dog clubs and a lot of the older people who have older dogs say, well, I don't have to do this because it's in my will um, that if I die, my dog dies. And really, your executor has to carry that out no matter what. And in my programs, when people say that, I go, you know what? You're absolutely right. I said, there is, there is a time and a place. And if, in fact, your pet would be better off being put to sleep. That's something that should be considered. Absolutely. Would you be willing to think about a possibility where if that dog or cat or bird or horse is in great shape and there's someone who 
really knows them and loves them, your neighbor, your vet tech, your you know, niece or nephew who have asked, understanding that they will never be taken care of the way you would be taking care of them, but understanding you're giving them a new lease on life with a new person in a new situation. And if it doesn't work out, that they could then put the dog to sleep if that's what you wanted. It's either Deborah or no one, Deborah or bust. Like it can't go from Deborah to Kim to Mary to Joan, Deborah or bust, because Deborah has asked for it. I always respect, and it's very hard because, you know, none of us want to see a two or three year old dog be put to sleep. And even a good, healthy 13 year old Cavalier, you know, we don't want to see them put to sleep either just because their owner passed. However, wills are made to be followed by your executor. And no matter how difficult that is for you, understanding the dog lives in the moment, which is fabulous. So the dog will not suffer. And the people who are putting it to sleep are suffering greatly. The dog won't suffer. And if there is nobody else, if they haven't taken my course and built up this whole cadre of next people, then I always say, uh, I, I get it. And I have talked more people out of euthanizing their dogs at the end by appreciating that they can than telling them, how could you be so terrible? Because the minute you criticize someone for making that decision, they get defensive. If you accept that this is one possible way, absolutely, and then offer them the ability to brainstorm on what other possibilities might be out there, you'll get a lot of pushback at the beginning, but then all of a sudden, after you throw out a few ideas, they go, oh, I never thought of the vet tech. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I never thought of my niece Susie out in wherever who mm -hmm. loves the dog. I never thought of the high school kid who comes to walk at all. I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. And so you're just holding a safe space for their fear that no one will take care of the dog the way they do. Yeah. Because most yeah. people don't want to put their dogs to sleep with them, except they think that's the only and best okay. way. And if you, you hold a safe space for them, um, they sometimes come around. They don't always come around, um, but they often come around. As a veterinarian, our responsibility is to do no harm to the animal. So I, would not euthanize a two-year-old lab. Now, I would be respectful of the situation. I'd discuss other options, et cetera, et cetera. There are vets who would do it. And it is a, a predicament. How would one go from your veterinary oath on one hand to a contractual agreement in a will? Because they're both binding. It's an interesting concept. And yes, veterinarians are put in a bad position when the executor comes in and says, you know, the person who died wants the dog put to sleep. And you're looking at the dog and it's a happy Labrador retriever. And you're like, but why? And they don't have the option not to follow the directive. Mm -hmm. um, courts have, you know, put 30 day stays on and have attempted because people do feel this, this crushing blow of having to put a healthy dog to sleep because somebody said that in their will. So what we hope to do is educate them before it gets to that point. Sure. You can call the local humane society and ask them to step in, but the executor will probably go somewhere else and get someone else to do it. Or you can say to the executor, listen, I get it. This is the, this is the term and I do no harm. And you can choose to tell them to move to somebody else um, mm -hmm. and give the dog some time as they move from place to place for the courts to put a stay on putting the dog to sleep. Or, you know, your colleague's going to do it. And if you know the dog, 
it's hard to say the dog will be more comfortable with you than with a stranger uh, because you're their vet. Um, that's a choice you have to make. So I'm trying to educate the lawyers never to let their clients put that in the will to have them call me. I mean, I understand the executor has to follow that wish, but it, it sounds like it's fairly impossible to get that overridden. Yes. Um, well, it has been. What, what happens is the dog's put to sleep before it can get to court. So it's not that it can't be overturned. It's just the dog's put to sleep before it can get to court. Usually courts will put 30-day stays, and then they'll have argument and discussion. And somebody will come in and say, listen, I'll adopt the dog. I didn't know my aunt put that in her will or whatever. Thank you. Yeah, tough, tough situation there. How should an owner prepare for the future of their pet's care? We have talked about the MAAP map. We've talked about some resources at the Humane Society, and I'm sure there are others out there. But once you've kind of figured out individuals, are there financial resources that should be planned for? Does this have to be formalized other than a, hey, Nancy, would you mind taking care of my dog should something happen? In a short summary, what other aspects regarding the legality type things should one think of? Well, if you call Nancy and tell her to take care of your dog, nobody knows that. So the best way to do it is to first write down the plan, make the plan, write it down. Then have all the caregivers together, show them your plan. This is what I'd like to have happen with Snuffy and Fluffy. And would you be willing to do this? Yes. So then write their name, address, email, emergency number down on paper and put it in the map plan along with all the little idiosyncrasies of every pet you own. And then right. give a copy of that, not only to your attorney who's writing your plan, your life plan and your living will and your real will. What you want to do is set aside some money uh, in what's called a pet trust because it takes between six months and a year for the money to come out of your will to take care of your pet. And unless somebody is independently wealthy, they're not going to be able to buy food for your dog unless you provide that. So the pet trust will provide for funding the care of your pet with the people who you've appointed in the map plan. I always say stop adding or subtracting money when you're about 65, put that money in and make it irrevocable. Because if you don't make the pet trust irrevocable when you're 65 and live to be 70, uh, that money that you've put in for the care of your pets can be yes. pulled back into your estate. I only put about $1,000 in a pet trust at any time because it really is only meant to pay for the food and the care of the dog going forward. And then the person who is your power of attorney is directed to give whatever additional monies need are needed to care for the pet. No one should be taking your pet because they're going to get a windfall of $10,000 from your will. They need to take your pet because they love you, they love your pet, and they want to care for it. So if you do them all verbally, um, they're not going to happen. I'm just going to tell you that flat out right here. It's not sure. going to happen. So if it's not in writing, it's not published, big trouble. And it needs to be published, as I said before. It needs to be published with all of the caregivers so they all know who they are. It needs to be published with your executor for sure and your attorney for sure and your veterinarian because your veterinarian needs to make sure that all those records are kept up to date or transferred if they need to be, because people need to know what's happening with your pets. Excellent, excellent advice. 
we've gone through selection of and asking people who could care, formalizing the paperwork, getting the costs and expenses set up. I did want to also make sure that not just dogs and cats, we are talking about exotic pets, birds, pocket pets. For sure, because horses horses are hard to find a home for. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little more money too. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) These concepts apply across the board. Are there any take-home points you just want to emphasize as we come to the end of our conversation today? Well, I'd love for everyone to come and be part of the community to talk about this so they can have ideas on their own on how they're going to care for their pets long-term, short-term. We meet on uh, Tuesdays. Go to HamiltonLawAndMediation.com. That's HamiltonLawAndMediation.com. And you'll be able to find out the information on how to join the community. It's free. It's for everyone who owns a pet. And then the most important thing, if they take anything away from this talk, is to put directives in your car and on your refrigerator on who to call in the event you're injured and someone has to take care of your pets. Otherwise, they're going to the shelter. You need to be proactive. Two or three numbers in your car, not in your wallet. That means I have to look for it. You do not want anyone to have to look for the next steps for the care of your pet. As I was going to say, do you put it with your insurance paperwork? I put it right over the air conditioning vents or right over the glove box. And I know it's not attractive and you have a really expensive car that you've (laughs) got to do this on. I have several types of cards that I bring to programs. I said, you can do this, you can do this, you can do this. I said, because the key is that no one should have to look for the information. Awesome. I knew that you would be uh, very entertaining with your antidotes and stories as well as very helpful. So veterinarians, hospitals, technicians, these are conversations we can start having with your clients um, as a way of protecting your true clients, which are the animals. Deborah, thank you so much for taking the time to pause with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. And everyone, give your pets a kiss for me and make sure you make that three by five or five by eight card. Thank you for listening to Time to Pause. Join us next time as we continue the conversation with industry leader, Dr. Kimberly Kodaka. Make it a great day.